Hello, everybody. This is Rabbi Shlomo Kohn with the Perky Avos podcast, where we live with the ethics of the Torah. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to reach out to me at Rabbi Shlomo Kohn with a K at gmail.com. For this week, we begin with Perek Hey, Mishnah Yud, Chapter 5, Mishnah 10. The Mishnah says, Shiva mini pranias bon loelam al shiva gufe avera. There are seven kinds of punishment that come to the world for seven different types of transgressions. Number one, miktsasin maisrin and miktsasin ain maisrin. If some people tithe and others do not tithe, rav shabatsoyres ba. A famine caused by a lack of rain ensues. Miktsasin raven, miktsasin svein. Some people are hungry and others are satisfied. But gamru laaser. But if nobody gives tithes, rov shamuhuma A general famine is caused that's caused by both armed bands and drought ensues. And if people decide not to separate Chala, a famine caused by destructive drought ensues. So now, the Mishnah starts off with seven sins cause seven types of punishment. And in this Mishnah, we only listed three types of sins and their corresponding punishment. And the next Mishnah, Mishnah Yud Aleph, Mishnah 11, lists the other four. The other four transgressions and their corresponding punishment. Now, this week, we're going to focus on this Mishnah and these three transgressions and the three corresponding punishments. But before we get to the Mishnah, I wanted to talk a little bit about this idea of divine retribution. Now, I'm not trying to scare anybody. We always keep this sheer, this podcast, very positive. I hope everyone, or my goal is for everyone to walk away with an elevated, good feeling. At the same time, it is important to talk about divine retribution. And it, if we look at it, if we have the correct perception, the correct observation, it's not as scary as it's made out to be. We've talked about in previous classes the concept of why bad things happen to good people and why good things happen to bad people. And we explained that in order to give a righteous person his complete reward in the next world, God sometimes cleans the righteous person here in this world by giving him a certain challenge, by giving him, quote-unquote, yisurim, or different bad things, quote-unquote, to help cleanse him so that in the next world he should get his total reward. And for a evil person who, who has done something good in this world, he has some reward, he... He's going to have some reward for the next world, 
So God pays him his reward in this world in order that the, his in the next world he should get complete punishment. So the first thing that's important to realize when we come to this Mishnah, where we're discussing different sins and how they will cause certain bad things to happen in the world, is understanding that when tragedy strikes, when something bad happens, and I like to say bad with quotations sometimes, because it's only how we perceive it. I'm not trying to take away from people's pain and in a challenging situation that it's hard. I'm not taking that away. But sometimes we look at something as bad, but really it's not so bad. And really everything's like that because everything Hashem does for us is for the best. Now, when we look at tragedy and when it strikes, there's, there's a reason. There's a purpose to each action that Hashem does in this world. Hashem, God, is a kind God. He's not a terrorizer. He doesn't do things just to play with us. There's a broader picture, like we explained other weeks. And we don't get the whole picture. We don't understand it at times. There's a reason for it. So that's the first thing we have to understand when we see, quote unquote, bad things happen and tragedy strikes. And at the same time, there's a concept that when we're on this earth, we have a mission to accomplish. We have to be the most we can be. God has given us the guidebook to do that. It's the Torah with the 613 commandments to fulfill, to do it, to be the best we can be. But sometimes we are human and we do fall. It happens. And we'll stray from the correct path. And many times, God will start sending us messages. And the messages start off as something that's more subtle. And if we hopefully are smart, we hear the message. We hear the message. We, we see the signs that God is trying to point us back in the correct direction to get us back on track. A good parent, a good teacher, when they see a child or a student that's veering from the correct path or doing something that they're not supposed to be doing, what do you do? Do you just let them keep doing it and ruin their life, let them ruin their lives? Or do you try to push them back, give them the encouragement, try to do a correction to get them on the path of the, the straight and the straight and the just? What do you do? Of course, any good parent or good teacher is going to correct the child, correct the student, to push them, to encourage them to get back on the correct path. And this is, as I mentioned before, our relationship, our relationships in this world mirror many times our relationship with Hashem. That just like the relationship between a parent and child, so too that's also similar to our relationship with Hashem. And just like a parent has to correct the child at times, if hopefully he could do it with encouragement and they could just speak to the child, but sometimes if a small child runs into the street, it's necessary to sometimes give, to use force, to, obviously in, in the correct way, you strike a child in his hand, right? That's something parents have been doing for generations, not in an abusive way, in a loving way, not out of anger, 
You do it out of love, right? Because a, a little child, you can't speak logic to them to not run in the street. But if they know that they're going to get a, a potch, a slap on their hand when they run into the street, so then they're not going to do that. So that's our relationship with Hashem as well. When we're doing not what we're supposed to be doing, we're going off the correct path. We're veering. We're getting sucked in with the temptations around us. We're not staying to the straight and the just. Hashem, in his ultimate kindness, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't let us just go off the cliff and go our merry way to ruin our lives and ruin our eternal lives in the next world as well. He stops us. He sends us messages. They start off more subtly. Maybe each person can fill in the blanks. He'll send us things might go wrong around us. Things might happen that might be a little strange. Hopefully, when we see these things going on, we ask ourselves, what is happening and why is this happening? We don't just keep going on our merry way and ignoring everything in life as coincidence. We're thinking about the world that's going on around us. And if we don't listen and we don't fix ourselves up and we don't try to make ourselves better, just a little bit, the message has to get a little stronger or it gets a little closer, a little closer to home. Until we hopefully ask ourselves this question of why is this happening or what is happening and why is it happening? And for each one of us, the answers are different. There's no one size fits all approach to this. Everybody has their challenges and everyone has their things which they struggle with that they need to, to fix, to be better at, to work on. But for sure, when things are happening around us, there's a system in place that God has set up in order to protect us from ruining our own destiny, to help us get back onto the straight path, to get back to being closer to Hashem, to doing the right thing. And that's just a little bit of an a introduction to this Mishnah. Because ultimately, when we when we see the message, when we hear when we hear the voice, and we hearken to its message, we're going to be better people because of that. We're going to improve ourselves. How many people and how many organizations have been started because people went through a certain hardship, and because of that hardship or that loss, they did, they took that inspiration and pushed it forward to be better people, to make the world a better place, to help others with their challenges. Many, many organizations and causes, righteous causes have been started from that. Meaning it wasn't easy, this, that, the challenge that these people went through. But what they came out with on the other end of the tunnel from their experience, I'm sure they would tell you made them a better person. So it comes out all the time. When Hashem gives us a patch, a little hit, that's in, in Yiddish, a term for hit, it's out of love. It's not out of anger. It's out of love because He cares about us. He loves us. 
the three weeks is a time where we're commemorating the destruction of the temple. It began or it begins with the 17th of Tammuz and it finishes with the 9th of Av, which is actually the actual day that the temple was destroyed. The Beis Amigdash, the temple in Jerusalem, was destroyed. And it's brought down, if you look in the sources, that in the years preceding the destruction of the temple, God sent the Jewish people messages, whether it be through prophets, through the prophets to repent, to do teshuva, or whether it be the different things that were happening. It's brought down in the Gemara, in the Talmud, that different strange occurrences happened in those years. And they were all for one purpose, to get the Jewish people to repent so the temple would not have to be destroyed. Unfortunately, we didn't hear the message. We're still working on that to fix up what has to be fixed up. And when we do that, God willing, it'll be the coming of Mashiach, the coming of Messiah. But the, the commentaries explain that had Hashem, had God not taken his wrath out upon the temple, upon the stones and the building of the Beis Amigdash of the temple, he would have had to taken his wrath out upon the people. So it comes out that the destruction of the Beis Amigdash was a savior for us, because if not, our, our destruction would have been justified. And God destroyed the building of the Beis Amigdash in order to not, to not destroy us. So the idea is that when it comes to tragedy, when it comes to bad things that happen, we have to realize that number one, there's a purpose, there's a reason. And we can't just look at the situation as a coincidence, as an act of nature. We have to ask ourselves, what is happening and why is this happening? Now, I don't have the answer for every situation. Why did this happen? Why did the Holocaust happen? Why did a building collapse in Miami? Why did, why did these things happen? Why are they happening? I cannot answer that. But we have to ask our, ourselves the question of what and why. And we could, each person could think to his or herself, is there something that I want to do to be better? And try to implement it into your life. Because we all have different struggles, things that we have challenges with. Each one of us, it's different. So when we think to ourselves, what's going on and why is this happening? Inevitably, it'll help us get to the point of, I need to be a little better in X. I need to do Y a little better. I need to work on these three things or this one thing. And that's something we should keep in mind. Another idea which I wanted to talk about as it, before we jump into the actual text of the Mishnah, is the concept of Mida Keneged Mida, is measure for measure. The Mishnah states here that these seven sins have corresponding punishments or calamities that befall the world because of them, meaning that there's a connection between these sins and these disasters that strike. And we know that everything Hashem does is for a reason. The Torah, we know the Torah states, ayin tachas ayin. 
There's a concept in the Torah of a hand for a hand. Now, we know because we have the oral Torah that that's not literal. That when the Torah says a hand for a hand, it doesn't mean that if somebody damages someone's hand that we take off his hand. No. We learn, we, 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 we derive from different verses in the Torah, the Talmud speaks it out, how when the Torah says an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, it doesn't mean literally, that's what we do. It rather it means take the value of an eye and a person who knocked at someone's eye has to pay that person the value of the eye. That's for us. When it comes to God, everything is mida keneged mida, measure for measure. What does that mean? Hashem is infinite. He's everywhere. He could, he's before us. He'll be after us. And God's justice is an exact just, justice. Whatever we do for good and for bad, we will get rewarded for and punished exactly measure for measure. Now, at the same time, it is brought down that the measure for reward is more than the, the, the measure for punishment, but that's a conversation for a different time. But the point is there that, that there's an exact calculation of everything that goes on. And if a person does something good, he's going to get rewarded back in a similar fashion. And if, God forbid, someone does something bad, he's going to get a punishment that's going to be correspond to exactly what he did. And this is something that we have to remember, that Hashem is perfectly just and his ways are perfectly just. It's not that uh, a person did this sin and now he'll be just totally destroyed and totally smited. The sin he did corresponds exactly to the punishment that he's going to get. We have to keep that in mind. So let's start with the Mishnah. So the Mishnah said seven, there are seven sins. There are seven types of punishment that come to the world because of seven transgressions. And the Mishnah lists a few of them in this Mishnah, three, and the next four will be in the next Mishnah, which will be next week. Now, if you look at all seven, they're all different type of natural disasters or things that are very common in the world that could be almost like a natural disaster. You see famine, partial famine, gangs of armed bandits, pestilence, wild animals, war. What's the common denominator here? What's the connection between all these different quote-unquote bad occurrences and punishment? Why are these the seven that are listed? So the commentaries explain that there are other sins which correspond to other punishments. But the Mishnah is teaching us seven specific punishments that a person could look at and say, oh, it was just a natural disaster. It was global warming. It was climate change. It was mother nature. The point of the Mishnah is to tell us that these seven transgressions are things that a person could easily look at and think and just wipe away with his, his hand and say, it was just a, co it's a coincidence. It's natural. It's nature. 
These things happen in the world. And the teaching of the Mishnah, the Mishnah is teaching us that these things are, they might be part of nature, but there's a reason why it's happening. And it comes back to that question of what is happening and why is this happening? So we shouldn't just think if a hurricane happens, if a tornado happens, if wild animals strike, that it's just nature and just happen. It's more to it. There's a reason, and we have to ask ourselves the question of what and why. So let's start with the first one of the Mishnah. So the first transgression or the first punishment that comes on account of a transgression is the punishment of a partial famine. So what does this mean? So the commentaries explain that when the Mishnah says some will have food and some will not, it refers to a case of inflation, a situation where some people are able to have what they need and some people don't have what they need. And this comes account on the fact of people not giving tithes. Now, tithes in the Torah, it's referred to as trumos and maestros. Trumas and maestros were given to the Kohanim and the Levium. Now, in a historical con context, the Kohanim and the Levium were the teachers of the Jewish people. They did not receive a share in the land of Israel, but rather the rest of the Jewish people supported them in order that they could teach Torah to the masses. So they were the teachers, and in order to keep them sustained, the rest of the Jewish people had to give the Kohanim and the Levim certain presents and certain tithes. So in grain, certain tithes had to be given to them, and every tenth animal had to be given to them, and a certain amount of, if, you, if a person sheared a certain amount of wool, a percentage had to be given to them, and olives, olive oil, and different presents of every animal had to be given to the Kohanim as well. And through all these different presents and tithes, the Kohanim and the Levium were able to support themselves and to be the teachers of Torah to the Jewish people. Now, it's interesting that, and, and, and Chala as well, we're going to talk about Chala in a minute, but Chala is also, I know, we're, was one of the portions that were given to the Kohanim also in order that they should have what they need. Now, we know that it's forbidden to test God. A person's not allowed to make a test and test God. At the same time, there's one exception to that rule. If a person wants to test God when it comes to charity, he's allowed to. And specifically regards to miser, giving a tenth. The idea of miser, or the halacha of miser in the Torah, comes from the 10% that was given over to the uh, Kohanim. And it's a question about nowadays if it's considered, if it's, if it's a custom, if it's a rabbinic ordinance, or it's even considered a midaraisa of biblical origin. How does this idea work that you're allowed to test God in this, in this realm? Because we know it's brought down that if somebody says, if a person gives charity, Hashem will give him back until he says enough. How does this work? So the basic idea is that when a person opens up his hand and gives from his own, 
that in essence will mirror his relationship with that will mirror the relationship with him and Hashem. That if he's able to open up and give from him his own, Hashem is going to open up his hand, so to say, so to speak, and give from his own to him. It's Mida Kenegan Mida, right? It's measure for measure. That if a person is generous and gives something which he worked hard to earn and gives it away to somebody who doesn't have as much. So Hashem, so God, who has everything, will open up his hand and give to you as well. And the flip side is also true. That if somebody holds back and is stingy and doesn't give, he doesn't give tithes. He doesn't give to the poor. So then Hashem is going to hold back and not give to him. Hashem will be stingy with him and not give him anything extra. or won't give him anything. And it's, it's that our relationship with others mirrors our relationship with Hashem. And this is like I've mentioned before, that many things in the world and many things which we do, the point is to emulate the ways of Hashem. And what we do, Hashem will act the same way to us. So if we are generous, Hashem will be generous to us, and that's what we want. So if we give what we're supposed to give to tzedakah, Hashem will be generous and give us everything we need. And if we are stingy and we're not giving what we need to do to give to charity, we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing, Hashem will be stingy with us. So when it says the first type of punishment, that there's a partial famine where some people have what they need and some people do not. And according to some commentaries, it means a a generation where there's inflation, where you have what you need, but your paycheck is being eaten up quicker, right? That happens when not everyone is doing what they're supposed to be doing. Some people are giving charity and some people are not giving charity. So therefore, the, the punishment mirrors the transgression that there is for some people and there's not for others. If you take it a step further, that when there's a total famine, that if the second step over here in the mission is when nobody gives maizer, nobody ties, so a more encompassing famine occurs. It's across the board. Not everyone has what they, ha- what they need. And a general famine ensues, either because of armed bandits where people don't have the ability to plant or because of drought, but it's corresponding. It's zelumazetz. This corresponds to that, that if everyone is not doing something, so then the punishment is going to strike everyone as well. Just Again, we see this idea of mida keneged mida, of measure for measure, that how we act, that's how we're going to get treated in return as well. And the Mishnah fin- finishes with a third transgression, which is chala. The punishment for chala is rav shalklayaba, a famine caused by, destru- by destructive drought ensues, which is even a higher level than the first two. So as I mentioned before, the whole concept of tithes and presents to the Kohanim. So chala was one of the presents which was given to the Kohanim. And what is it? It's through, if a person would make a certain amount of dough, a piece of that dough would be, have to be taken off and given to the Kohen. And having to be, even though today can't eat challah because we're ritually impure and there's no base on Mikdash, the Chachamim enacted that we still do the mitzvah of challah when we make bread. 
as a remembrance to the mitzvah. So that means when a woman makes a dough that's more than five pounds of flour, she has to take out a small amount out of that challah and she makes a blessing when she does that and the challah which is taken is burnt. And that's considered challah. Now, why is it that when it comes to challah, the punishment is much more severe than the first two transgressions? Why specifically the sin of not taking off challah off a dough and giving it to a Kohen, why does a destructive drought ensue then? What is it about challah that, that, that causes that? What's the midah connected midah, the measure for measure that's happening here? Because if you think about it, challah, it's not a, you know, it's, it's only an obligation if you make a certain amount of challah, only if you have the five pounds and only if you make bread. Tithe is something which is, Every person has to give 10% of the crop. Doesn't, you know, doesn't make a difference if um, you make it, you process it or don't process it. By challah, it's only if you make that certain amount. So it should seem that it's not as stringent. It's not as strict. So I saw two different answers that, that could give us insight. The first one is that, as I mentioned before, challah is only required when a person meets a certain threshold. When they have the five pounds of flour, that's when you're required to do the mitzvah of challah. If you theoretically wanted, you could exempt yourself from giving challah by just not doing the minimum amount. You can make a one pound batch of dough, a two pound, three pound. As long as you don't do five pounds, you're not obligated in the mitzvah. So a person can get himself out of it. So the problem over here is, is that when people stop doing the mitzvah of challah, when they are making that amount of flour. They're, they're making that five-pound bag and they're ign willfully ignoring the will of God. We've got a problem. We've got a big problem. When a person legislates or publicly proclaims that he's being insubordinate, that's bad. And the whole idea of challah here is that what the mission is telling us is that when people get to a point where they're willfully ignoring the will of God and they're making the amount of flour that needs to be made and they're still not doing challah, so that already is, is warrants a higher punishment. And that's why the, the level of not giving challah is a higher punishment because you're putting yourself into a position where you're obligated to do it and you're still not doing it. You could have just not you could have just not done that amount and you wouldn't have to take away the challah. You wouldn't have to give it to the Kohen. But you said, you know what? I'm doing it anyways and I'm, I'm, and I'm not giving it to the Kohen. So what's the lesson here? The lesson here is that it's one thing to do something wrong, but it's another thing to make that into your position and that it's right. Many times we get sucked into things because our Yetzirah, our, our evil inclination gets the better of us. And that's probably for the most of the bad things we do. And that's for most people when they do bad things. They don't mean to do it. It's just that their evil and inclination got the better of them for that moment and they succumbed. But sometimes we do things and we make the bad thing that we do into a, into like a, a mitzvah. We say, this is a bad, it's not a bad thing. This is the correct thing. This is the right thing. That's the worst. When we sort of make policy within ourselves that the 
bad things we're doing are really good, that's not good. That's bad. That's bad. You know, it's it's one thing if we fall, we all we're all human and we are gonna fall. The point is we, we do our best that we shouldn't, but the point is that we get ourselves back up and we continue on the right path. We hope we hopefully realize our mistake and try to put things into place that will protect us the next time that we shouldn't fall. But when a person does incorrect things and he makes it into his position, he makes it into a matter of principle, it's much harder to correct. It's much harder to, harder to get out of that rut and to, to be a better person. So I think this that is what the mission is telling us, that when it comes to challah, when a person takes something which is an obligation and they ignore it and they make it into like a position that this is the right thing to do, that's not good. And the lesson for us is that we might fall, but we should just realize what we did. We have the ability to realize what we did and correct it. We shouldn't take the, the incorrect things that we do and make it correct. Maybe we make a mistake, but it should, it should be the mistake. We should realize that it's a mistake. We shouldn't make it part of us in that way. We should try to separate and say, this is not me. I'm, I fell. I'm having this problem, but it's not the correct thing. And I'm going to get myself out of it. It's just the important mindset to have. And just to, to finish the Mishnah, there was another answer to this question is that I saw Rebruven Feinstein, Shlita brings down that the reason why this punishment of not giving challah is so severe, not giving the portion to the Kohen, is that the mitzvah of challah, like I said before, is not something which is a, is, was not something which was given you know, like to make the to make it understood, it's, it wasn't like taxes. The tithes were like taxes. A person would have a percentage taken off, and that have to be given to the poor people. But challah was something between you and the kohen. It was. It's only if you would be making bread after you gave all your taxes already. So now you're making bread. You still have to give to the kohen. And the idea here is that the messages of challah. One of the messages we can learn from challah is that. Even after we give all that we're supposed to be giving, there's still a mitzvah for us to still give a little more. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean that there's a certain realization in the mitzvah of challah that where does this bread come from? Is it me? Did I Do I get my paycheck every week? Am I the one doing it? Am I making money? Because a person might think to himself, okay, I paid my taxes, I paid my federal taxes, I paid my social security, I paid my Medicare, state taxes, local taxes. Now it's mine, it's my money. So when it came to a person's grain, which was the money back then, was that person, I paid my tithes, I gave the coin, I gave the levy, now the rest is mine. It's my money that I earned. And the mitzvah of challah is there on top of all these mitzvahs to remind us that Hashem is the one who gives us the money. God is the one who gives us parnasa, who gives us sustenance. And it's not our doing. You're right. We have to do our due diligence to go to work every day and to work hard to do our part. But we have to realize that at the end of the day, it's Hashem who's the one who's giving us success. So if a person is not giving challah, they're not doing the mitzvah of challah, then they're in essence saying that I'm the one who made this money. I'm the one who made this grain. They're failing to realize who truly did that, who truly grew the grain, who truly gave them the success. And if a person does that, they're in trouble as well.
because they're forgetting who's in charge of the world. And just the, this concept is actually in the bracha of Hamotzi. The blessing that we make on bread before we eat bread is a very interesting blessing. We say, Baruch Ato Hashem Elokeinim Olam, Hamotzi Lechem Minharetz. When we make a special blessing, you know, the rabbis instituted special blessings on every type of food that we should remember before we eat where the food comes from. So for the fruit of a tree, we say, creates the, you know, we're thanking God, the creator of the, the, the fruit of the tree. For a, a vegetable that grows in the ground, we say, Adam, or thanking God that he created the fruit of the ground. But when it comes to hamotzi, the blessing we make for bread, hamotzi lechem in aretz, we're thanking God that he took bread out of the ground. It's interesting, bracha. Have you ever seen bread grow out of the ground? I know they say money grows on trees, but I've never seen bread growing out of the ground. What's the meaning of this blessing? So the commentaries explain that it's to teach us this lesson, that a person, after he works hard to make bread, he, he cut the wheat, he grinds it, he winnows, he does all the steps, the different steps that are needed to make the bread. And now he's at the finished product. It might enter his brain that, wow, I did this. I created this. You're right. A person did put the work in to do this. But who's the one who really did it? It's Hashem. And that's that mission. This is this mission here. And this is this idea here. That when it comes to everything we have, even after we give our tithes, how do we look at what we have? Even for the things that we're not obligated to give away. Because if we have this outlook that everything is for Hashem, it gives us a different look at life and a look, different you know, outlook at our belongings. That's in a very important lesson, especially, and that's why it could also, if a person, for, if, if people forsake this mitzvah, it's worthy a, of a such a severe punishment. So with that, I want to conclude today's Mishnah. I hope you all enjoyed. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out to me at Rabbi Shlomo Kohn with a K at gmail.com. If you enjoy this podcast, you might also like my other podcast on happiness. The link can be found in the show notes or by searching Positive Perspectives by Shlomo. Everyone have a great day.